strong tower. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, or if you want to follow on the screen behind me, that will work as well. Uh, again, if you're new here, we want to welcome you. We're glad you could be our guest today. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, so good to hear the testimony of our pastoral residents. It was just good to hear what the Lord is doing in their life and, and how he has blessed that program. Uh, I don't know if it was mentioned earlier, but John has already graduated out and we are uh, looking to hire another resident for next year. Uh, so it's just really encouraging to see how the Lord has provided there. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 26 through 38 this morning. 26 to 38. Hear the reading of God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, the gift of grace. The gift of grace. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us, Lord. Lord, make us people who listen, who hear, who not only listen, but become doers of the word. May your word go deep into our hearts and minds that it might bear fruit, much, much fruit. Help us to be people who love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because of what you have spoken to us. Lord, may you do it today for your glory and our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it had been almost three decades since our nation had experienced a total solar eclipse. And so I don't know if you remember back in August of 2017... Uh, everyone was going nuts over this. They, they were excited. They were ecstatic, looking forward to the total solar eclipse. People had those uh, glasses. You remember those little funny-looking glasses where you could look at the eclipse? People were gathering together those glasses and trying to find a way that they could witness this themselves since it had been nearly three decades since it had happened. And one of those people who went viral during that time was a Chicago weatherman by the name of Tom Skilling. I don't know if you saw that video that went viral, but this guy, he was a weatherman in Chicago who just loved weather. Like some people called him a weather evangelist because 
He was just constantly trying to get you to love the weather as much as he loved the weather. And so he would talk so passionately about the clouds and the sky and the rain and all these things, and he would just exude this passion. And so when he heard that the eclipse was coming, he started to do some research. He started to find out, what what does this mean? When is it going to happen? And and he started to build his excitement and his joy. And uh, as it drew closer... That day, he invited people out to come watch the eclipse with him. And he goes live on TV as they're watching this eclipse happen. And uh, everybody's out there standing. And he just starts to tear up and get emotional. And he starts crying. And, And so then he starts to just shout, Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! And this is what he says as he's saying this on the TV. He says, All of a sudden, the light disappears and the heavens, which had been blue, are suddenly speckled with stars and planets. And as I looked out on the horizon, it glowed like a sunrise. And then there's these tears that just stream down and he starts shouting and celebrating and rejoicing and everyone around him just joins in because they don't know what to do. They're just crying. The whole crowd is crying. It was this genuine wonder and awe at something they had never imagined. Now, that same day, I was walking outside and I just forgot that it was going to be the, the eclipse day, right? It was a busy day, a lot going on. I'm, I'm running around, going from place to place. And I walk outside, and I see this group of ladies looking up into the sky. And I'm thinking, what is going on over there? And then it hit me. Oh, the eclipse is today. And one of the ladies, she could see on my face the revelation. She knew that I had forgotten about it. And so she kind of invites me over, and she says, hey, you want to look through my glasses, and you, you can just take a look at it. I said, sure, that sounds great. I put on her funny-looking glasses, and I look up, and to be honest, it was just okay. (laughs) Like, I I wasn't that impressed. There were no tears. There was no shouting. There was no awe and amazement and wonder. I I definitely didn't go viral. I I just sat there and thought, "This, this is not that impressive. I gave it kind of a mild shrug. And sometimes when you you think about Christmas, it can get that kind of response out of us, right? You you think about Christmas and and it just becomes so familiar that you lose the wonder and the awe and the people who are shouting and crying and rejoicing just seem odd. You're like, well, why? What, what, What are they seeing that I'm not seeing? What are they getting that I'm not getting? Because to me, you know, we know, the, we know the stories. We know there's a baby in a manger. We know there's Mary and Joseph. We, we know the story I just read. We, we know that, that God has come from heaven to earth in this child, and we just kind of give it a mild shrug. You ever been there before? I think most of us have, if you're honest. You've been to that place spiritually where it just feels like life is spiritually dull. You, you still believe, but you're not quite sure if it, if it moves you like it once did. You're not quite sure that it, it has the power that it once did, the, the excitement and the joy and the fun and the, the thrill of it. Right? There's that phrase in that Christmas song, the thrill of hope. What, what, what does that even mean? Right? If you've ever been there before, you get to that point and you start asking hard questions like, why, why am I like this? How did I get this way? And how, more importantly, how do I get out of this? How, how do I take my spiritual dullness and become delighting again? 
How do I get full of wonder and awe? I think this text helps us today because this text shows us the way that happens is through this encounter with grace, this grace that transforms us, that moves us from dullness to delight. And so today we're continuing this Advent series that we've been calling A Weary World Rejoices. A Weary World Rejoices. And Advent is the season on the church calendar that is a season of waiting. It's a season of wonder. It's a season of watching and, and, and wondering, is God going to come? Right? Advent is really about looking back on Jesus' first coming, but it's also about looking forward to his second coming. So you're kind of in between these two comings. You're looking back and rejoicing, but you're looking ahead and waiting, hoping, anticipating. And it's in that in-between time that we deal with some of these hard realities of life. And one of those hard realities is spiritual dullness. What do I do when my heart is dull? When it feels dead, it feels disconnected. We need an encounter with grace, this gift from God. And so that's where we're going to enter this story today. Mary has this encounter with grace. And so the question I want to look at is, how does grace truly transform us? How does grace truly transform us? Well, first, it finds us. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first point is grace finds you. Grace finds you. Look at me at verse 26. This is where the story starts here. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, the angel Gabriel, whom we saw last week, now shows up again. And this time, God sends Gabriel to an unsuspecting place. He sends Gabriel to not the center of Israel, the, you know, uh, Jerusalem, where all the, the life of Israel is happening and all the big things and, and, and big shows are going on. No, he doesn't go to Jerusalem. He goes to Galilee. And more specifically than Galilee, he goes to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, if you were living in that time, would not even have been on the map. Nazareth was so small, so insignificant, no one in Israel's history mentioned it. Not in the Old Testament, not in Josephus' history, not in any of the ancient scribes. None of them mentioned Nazareth. That's how small and insignificant it was. In fact, it wasn't, get this, it wasn't until 1962 that there was evidence outside of the Bible that Nazareth actually existed. That's how small this place was. And God sends Gabriel to Nazareth, this no man's land, in the middle of nowhere where no one is, to a people that everyone else would have forgotten. See, not only is the place surprising, but the people are surprising. Gabriel is sent to this humble teenage couple. I mean, Mary at this point is probably no more than 14 years old. This is the age in their culture when you would get married, and so uh, she's betrothed to Joseph, and, and we know from the context later on that, that they're very poor. They don't have any money. They don't even have enough money to make the proper offering at the temple, and so here's Mary and Joseph, this young betrothed couple, and Gabriel shows up to them, and he has this message to these unsuspecting people. Nobody's in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. God breaks into their story and he speaks to Mary. Listen to what he says in verse 28. He says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, 
Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen, grace is all over this passage. Gabriel's uh, greeting is literally, grace to you, O graced one. Grace to you, O graced one. Now, Mary's just minding her own business. She's doing nothing. She, she doesn't care about any of these things that, that Gabriel's talking about. She's trying to get married. She's looking forward to her marriage, uh, you know, all this stuff. And, and, and she's minding her own business. And Gabriel shows up with a message she would never understand. In fact, it says she was troubled, greatly troubled, not because of the angelic presence, but because of the angelic message. She's thinking, me? Really, me? You're talking to me? I am the graced one? I'm the favored one? You must have the wrong person. But no, Gabriel's in the right place. Grace had found her. Found her. See, listen, grace finds the unsuspecting. Grace finds the unsuspecting. In fact, the Greek word that Gabriel uses here for found is eureka. Eureka. Maybe you've heard that word before. Maybe you didn't know that that word actually comes from a Greek legend. There's this legend of a man named Archimedes who was a mathematician. And uh, he and other uh, people who were kind of the smartest minds of their time were trying to find out these math problems and these solutions to these issues. And one of them was how to find the volume of an irregular object. You're going back to high school now, right? He's trying to figure out how do you find the volume of an irregular object. And the reason is because they're trying to find out how much gold is in a golden crown. And so all the smartest minds are, are trying to figure out what equations they can use. And, and as his brain is hurting, Archimedes says, I need a break. He walks away. He goes for a, a, a bath you know, in the bathtub. And when he gets in the bathtub, he notices that the water rises as he gets in the bathtub. And he, he has this revelation. And he shouts, Eureka! He gets it because he realizes that you know, if, if the object goes into the water, the amount that the water rises, that's the volume of the object. And so he has this revelation and he shouts, Eureka! And then there's some versions of the legend that say he then jumps out of the bathtub, runs down the street naked, shouting, Eureka! 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 Because the solution had found him. That, that's the background of the word. The word is saying something has found you. It's, it's passive. It's, it's a sense that, that you have been found. And, and so Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, grace has found you. This is your eureka moment. You've been found. See, the gospel begins with breaking in. It begins not with God waiting for us to come to him. It begins with, with this divine eureka moment where God comes upon the undeserving, the unexpecting, the unworthy, because he's looking for us. See, don't get it backwards. The gospel is not, uh, you know, you're, you're waiting on God, or God's waiting on us, and then he'll come to us. The gospel is the other way. It's, it's God coming to us moving towards us, breaking into our mess. And so grace comes when you're least expecting it. Grace comes when you're strung out. Grace comes when you've 
failed many times. Grace comes when you're confused and lost and wondering, how how am I going to make it through this? Grace comes when you're overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Grace comes at the moment you least expect it. See, grace should have this sense of of surprise to it, right? It should be a little confusing and a little troubling. Notice Mary didn't say when when, uh, Gabriel arrives, she doesn't say, oh, it's about time. I've been expecting you. I, I, I thought you might come a little sooner. Could, couldn't you come a little faster? What, what were you doing so long? Right? There's not this assumption that I am deserving or I'm worthy. The, the assumption is actually the complete opposite. The sound of the gospel should really shake us to the core. It should surprise us. Not because God is, is ungracious, but because we are unworthy. The surprise, listen, the surprise is, in, uh, is not in the giver, it's in the receiver. It's, the, the surprise is in the fact that we are the recipients of such an amazing favor that we do not deserve. We should be able to look at it and say, you must have the wrong person. You must have the wrong house. This could not be for me. But listen, grace is only for those who know that we don't deserve it. St. Augustine, one of the great church fathers in in the uh, 4th century, said this, For those who would know God, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second. And humility is the third. Right? He's saying that even though the first move of the gospel is God coming downward towards us, breaking into our life, breaking into our mess, the second move of the gospel is us going along with him. It's us jumping on the train and saying, okay, you're going down, I'm going down with you, and I'm humbling myself down into a place where I can say, I am unworthy. I'm unworthy. How could this be for me? How could this be for me? It should shock us. It should surprise us. But listen, once grace finds you, then it calls you. And this is the second point, grace calls you. Gabriel continues as he talks to Mary. He says this in verse 31. He says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel tells Mary, he says, You're going to have a son, but this son is not going to be like any other son. This son, you're going to name him Jesus because the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. He is coming to save his people. He's coming to save them from their sin and from their suffering. He's coming to save them from their sin, to deliver them and forgive them. But he's also saving them from the suffering and misery of this world because he's going to make this world new. That's what he means when he says his reign will have no end. He will set up God's kingdom on earth. You know, what we pray, as Jesus says, let your kingdom come as it is in heaven, let it be on earth, right? He's saying his kingdom is coming down on earth, and it's going to make all things right. It's going to make all things beautiful. It's going to wipe away every tear. Jesus is coming to save creation. That's what he's coming to do. And then Mary, when she hears this about her son, she hears about her calling. At first, she doubts. Look at verse 34. She says this, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? Again, Gabriel, you must have the wrong house. 
You must have the wrong woman. I have never been with a man. How am I going to have a child? Gabriel assures her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be with child. And he says, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And then listen, there's a turn here. As soon as he says that, look at what Mary says in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, Mary says yes. Mary says yes. But she doesn't just say yes to having a child. She says yes to so much more than that. She says yes to all that comes with that, all the shame and the pain and the difficulty. Remember, she's not married to Joseph. What's she going to tell her family? The Holy Spirit did it? I mean, what, what is she going to say? How is this going to go? How, how are people going to look at her? How, how are people going to treat her? There's going to be a life of difficulty and pain and shame. But this is God's grace towards her. He says, you are the graced one. You are the favored one. I'm calling you to this mission. And so what does she do? She surrenders. She says, yes, behold, I am your servant. See, grace calls us to a humble yes. A humble yes. I don't know about you, but our prideful hearts, at least mine, we, we typically want to push back. And rather than say yes, I want to say yes, but... Right? Yes, but. You ever had that conversation with, with someone at your job? Yes, but. You ever had that conversation with maybe your kids? Yes, but. Right? I, I was at a counseling session one time where my counselor was t- talking to me about a better way to say that. He said, uh, here's what you can say. Yes, and. Yes, and. Don't, don't say but. Say yes, and. That's just a little tip for you. But, but you ever been there where where someone says yes, but what it means is I don't really want to say yes. I have some conditions. I have some things that I want, to, I want to say and clarify because what you're saying is not really what I'm surrendering to. In other words, with God, we say, yes, God, I know you're calling me to this life of fully submitting myself to you. And I, I, want, to, I want to be a person who loves you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what about that relationship I've got? God, I know you're calling me to to give my whole self to you, my whole heart, my whole mind, that every area of my life would be submitted to you. But what about my money and my possessions and the things that I I love so dearly? God, I know you're calling me to, to give you my whole life, to surrender fully as my Lord and Savior. But what about all the things I'm anxious about? What about the despair I'm I'm walking through? What about the things I'm not ready yet to forgive in my past? Where where have you said to God, yes, but? Yes, but. Yes, God, but here are the things that I have conditions about. See, rather than say with Mary, let it be to me according to your word, we say, let it be to me according to my word. To my word, to my standards, to my calling on my life. See, there's always this tension between what I want and what God wants. And the only way that tension is ever resolved is for us to surrender fully. 
for us to say to God, okay, I may not understand what you're calling me to. I may not like what you're calling me to. I may not even fully embrace it. But listen, I am going to surrender myself to you. I'm going to give you a full yes. Whatever you say, I'm in. See, submission always carries this level of suffering. Don't think that when Mary said, yes, it got easier. Obedience is often painful. It's harder when you wrestle against the desires of your flesh rather than give in to them. It's harder when you choose to love your enemies rather than abuse them. It's harder when you choose to forgive those who hurt you the deepest rather than stir in bitterness. It might be harder before it gets better. It might be death before there's resurrection. But that's the shape of grace. The shape of grace is death, then resurrection. Death, then resurrection. That's how it works. And so at some point, we have to say, yes, Lord, let it be unto me. Yes, Lord. Have you said yes to God this morning? Not yes, but, but just yes. Yes. I know some of you may be thinking, well, I don't know what that really means. I don't know what God is going to do in my life. I don't know what he's going to ask of me or what he's going to require of me. And I understand that. That is hard. That that is one of the hardest things of walking in faith, knowing that I don't know what God's going to do, when he's going to do it, how he's going to do it. But I know that if I surrender myself to him, there's beauty and communion with him that is unmatched in anything else in my life. Because I can say with him, I've fully surrendered to you. I'm yours. Do with me what you want. Use me, uh, love me, shape me however you want. You've called me and I'm saying yes. And when you submit yourself to God's gracious call, that's where there's this move to praise. And this is the third point. Grace moves us. Grace moves you. Mary leaves Gabriel and, and she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. And uh, Gabriel had told her, right? He told her, Elizabeth is going to be with child just like you. And so uh, Mary goes to check to see kind of, you know, is Gabriel telling the truth? Is Gabriel really giving uh, the message from the Lord? And so when she arrives, she sees it's confirmed. Elizabeth is in fact with child, with John the Baptist. And so Mary is, is confirmed in what Gabriel had said, but now she realizes this is the gospel message that's going to change everything. And she kind of bursts out into song, and her song has been called the Magnificat because it it just magnifies the Lord for what he has done. And this is what she sings in verse 46. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Do you hear that? Grace had come to her. It had invaded into her life, and now it was moving her. It was moving her. There's something welling up in her of wonder and awe that God could do this. And the theme of her song was real simple. It's God's gospel reversal. Notice the repetition and the emphasis on he. Over 20 times, Mary says that God had done it. It was his work. 
It was he who looked upon the humble. It was he who exalted the poor. It was he who gave attention to the hungry. It was he who would bring down the mighty. It was he who remembered his mercy. It was he who kept his promise from generation to generation. It was him alone. That's what Mary had finally realized was this is God and God alone who had brought this about. And the son in her womb would bring the greatest reversal of all from darkness to light. See, when Jesus is born, he pushes back the darkness. He pushes back the evil in the world. He unleashes God's kingdom upon all the brokenness in this life. It's the great reversal of grace. Jesus enters into the darkness that he might liberate all the prisoners in the darkness. Right, Those in chains to their sin, he went to the cross for us. He died to set us free. He bled to give us new life. He rose again to shine the light of his grace on us into the darkest corners, into the darkest caverns. That's why we're moved. We're moved because the grace of the gospel has come into places that we couldn't change in our own life and in our own world. He's changed it. The reversal of grace moves us to praise as we go from darkness to light. Let me close with this. Not many of us would be uh, brave enough, or maybe you might even say foolish enough, to voluntarily spend 48 hours in a small underground chamber. But in 2008, a British comedian by the name of Adam Bloom, he, uh, he volunteered for this strange and controversial experiment by British psychologists. They wanted to study the effect of isolation and darkness on the human mind. And so he volunteered to spend 48 hours in this place, and it's underground, and when I'm saying dark, I don't mean dark, I mean pitch black. There is no light. You couldn't see your hand if it was touching your face. There, there is nothing. It's just dark and eerie. The, the, the silence is numbing. It's, it's just creepy. And here he is, entering into this place, trying to be a part of this study where it's silence, isolation, and absurd conditions. And for two days and two nights, Adam sat there. At first, he tried to entertain himself. He tried to sing and tell jokes. He's all by himself, just telling jokes, trying to make light of it, trying to pass the time. And here he is, sitting on the bench, and realizes he has no idea how much time has gone. No sense of time. So he decides, you know what, I'll just take a nap. And then he wakes up and he has a panic attack because he realizes he has no idea how long he'd been asleep. No reference for where he is, what's happened. He starts to think about his family. He starts to think about his friends and wonder how they're doing, wonder if something's happened to them. His emotions start to unravel. He has no clue what's going to happen. He starts to think, what if they just left me here to die? I have no clue what's going on. And then it stops. And for 48 hours, he had been isolated underground. The doctors come, make sure he's okay. They record whatever they needed to study. And then he starts to reflect on what it was like to leave. And there's this unexpected outcome. And this is what he says. He says, when we arrived at the bunker before the experiment, I thought it all looked rather bleak. The exterior was overgrown. The bunker was an eyesore. It all seemed ugly. But after 48 hours in dark isolation, coming back into the light, I noticed how green the grass was. In the light, I noticed how blue the sky was. In the light, I noticed how yellow the flowers were. 
It was all staggeringly beautiful. Even washing my hands under the faucet was amazing. Going from darkness to light forever changed my perspective. Going from darkness to light forever changed my perspective. See, when we go from darkness to light, we can't help but be moved. When you realize the darkness of your sin and misery without Jesus and you've come into the light and you see it and you see what has really happened in the gospel, there's a transforming power of grace that can't be matched. And this is what's happened to Mary and this is what the gospel offers to us where we can, we can be changed, we can be transformed in the same way where we go from darkness to light because Jesus endured the darkness on the cross to bring us the light of his resurrection. So this morning, I want to ask you, have you you seen that? Have you been moved by grace in your own heart and your own life? Because the simple way that happens, this is exactly what the text is saying, the simple way that happens is for you, you to do just what Mary did and say, let it be unto me according to your word. God, I surrender to you. God, I surrender my life, I surrender my emotions, I surrender my past, I surrender my future, I surrender my anxiety, my despair, I surrender my sin, all of it is yours. Take me. Let it be according to your word. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we want to say yes to you. We want to say fully yes. We submit, we surrender, we give our life fully to you. Oh Lord, help us to do that in the areas that we've been holding back. In the areas we've been hiding, in areas we've been afraid. All of us, Lord, have have those areas. And in this season of Advent, we live with that tension. We don't ignore the darkness. We don't ignore the pain and the difficulty. We don't ignore our doubts, but we wrestle with them. We ask you to come and transform them. We ask you to break into the darkness with your light, with a message of grace. Grace to you, O graced one. God, may you work that grace into our hearts and minds today. Help us to be transformed in the areas that we've been praying for, in the areas that we've been ignorant of. May you come. We invite you transform our hearts and minds. For your glory and our good, we pray in Christ's name.